edition of the Sight and Insight podcast with me, Judy Curtis, and of course the lovely Lawin Connie, <laughs> Connie Curtis, we've just adopted her, Lawin Nagel and David Curtis. So these guys have been busy painting down there in Texas, but we're not going to talk about that today. We're going to move on to the next event, which is a workshop at Rockport Art Association and Museum that's coming up March 23rd, 24th. Uh, it's a Saturday and Sunday, and it's a workshop called Copying the Masters. So we're going to be talking about the importance of um, looking at work that has sort of stood the test of time. Now, uh, we have done a podcast on this once before when we were looking at Valescus and Vermeer when you're copying people who have done works um, that have stood the test of time. This uh, workshop that David's going to be doing takes place at Rockport Art Association and Museum in their beautiful Hibbard Gallery. And these are going to be works uh, from the permanent museum collection. Rockport's fortunate to have some great work uh, in this collection uh, by A.T. Hibbard, Antonio Serino, Emil Gruppi, uh, beautiful Harriet Randall Loomis, we have Charles Allen Winter, Albert Thayer, Carl Peters, Paul Strizik, and many, many more. And so these works will be uh, shown in the gallery, uh, and artists uh, who want to sign up can sign up for a particular painting, which is shown on David's website. And so you can uh, get a, a heads up on uh, what's going to be available. And of course, you can't paint sight size. That's one criteria. There is nothing wrong with copying a painting to practice from, to learn techniques, uh, but you just can't do an exact copy. However, enough from me. I'm going to go right over to David uh, and to ask him why is it so important to be able to copy from one of these master painters. Take it away, David. Well, I've been teaching this class, gee, I'm trying to remember how many years, but at least 10 to 12 years. And one of the reasons is I used to do a workshop there, and the workshop was a still life workshop. But the problem was the lighting. And in still lifes, you need specific lighting. Uh, so when I realized that they had daylight lighting, at Rockport, which is rather rare today. And they have this wonderful museum collection of, I, I would say, mostly 20th century painters. And the 20th century, most painters painted sort of what they would call a direct painting method. Um, if they see a yellow uh, note, they put the yellow note in their painting. If the sky is blue, they put the blue sky in. Uh, most copying the masters harken back to the Renaissance and if you take one of those classes, you're doing a lot of glazing and layering of paints. Whereas this is mostly direct painters, and, and, I, and I was very familiar with direct painting, so it made an, an easy class. An outdoor landscape. An outdoor landscapes. Uh, but it was the whole idea of painting something from nature directly rather than layering of paintings. Mm. And it's a two-day workshop, so it really enables somebody, if it's a big piece, that they can lay it all in and get it right. I think copying is the old way of learning. Uh, probably the uh, 17th, 18th century painters, uh, your Rembrandts, uh, your Velasquez, your uh, Vermeers, those early great, great painters, Rubens, were all learned, taught by, or taught their classes by painting. Not drawing first, more of the 19th century method was to draw and then to from drawing you go into painting. Um, 
And I think that was just to get structure back into everything. But through that, you lose sort of that, that rhythm of that continuity you have when you're painting directly. So I thought that was the reason why I started the Copying the Masters class. And it's become very popular. A lot of people love it. Uh, and the best student I ever had in the class uh, and the best Copying the master I ever had was Connie. <laughs> well, congratulations, Connie. Thank Great you. indeed. <laughs> Although I have seen some of your paintings that you did in that class, and you did do a great job. Uh, and the the fact that you you can change them and uh, so that it isn't sight size. Uh, it, do right. you find copying something that can't be sight size? How do you go about doing that so that it's not a direct copy of the painting? Well, I think it is important not to. Uh, paint a direct painting. I mean, a, a painting that's the exact same size as the master painting. Um, and, and also, that's a criteria long known for in museums. Um, I, have, I have done a copy of a Monet at the Boston um, uh, Museum of Fine Arts. Uh, and and all of these copies are different sizes. So um, you ask how, how do you go about um, setting up that, that type of painting? Um, I think that you have to be uh, flexible in that uh, you look at the painting, the master painting, and you, um, the way I go about it, I'm, I'm very intuitive about painting these things. I'm not very, uh, it's not a measurement uh, thing. Uh, I look at the piece and, and initially I get a feeling. Mm -hmm. And it's the feeling state and the rhythm of the painting that becomes the very beginning of my copy. And, um, and from that, I can translate that into Let's say, let's say the master painting is a more of a square. I can do a rectangle, and and I get the sense of that rhythm, and I can place it into this rectangle, and um, and and then from there, go about maybe articulating what is is actually seen in let's say the horizon or uh, or the uh, the you know, the foreground, the midground. I, I sort of work from that. So um, I also um, look at the brush strokes. I, I get a feeling of the color notes. Um, that's usually my initial uh, uh, lay-in. Mm -hmm. And I would say, just to interject, uh, from kind of the reason why I say that she was the best at it is because the reasons she just mentioned, but also too, when I noticed other, a lot of people, and these are very good painters who decide to do this class, um, very, you know, they're professionals already, um, that they tend to use their own method operandi, their own ways of doing a, a lay-in and things like that, and then try to, you know, try to pick up something from them. I think Connie does it from that point of view of fig figuring out what that artist had done and be able to analyze how the artist started it, figured it out, and, and executed it. And it's quite amazing. So this particular year, we're going to 
ask Connie to do a little bit of a entry, uh, you know, figure out how to stop people off, inspire them to look at their painting with a fresh eye. Mm -hmm. uh, the other part of this class I think is important that I always uh, ask people to do is when they return home, look up the artist they're copying, learn something about the artist they're copying so that they know it's not just about... Because I have found over the years that most people learn to appreciate painting greater because they are trying to copy a, a work of art. And I think it's, uh, it's, it's original. I know a lot of people are afraid of copies. Um, I think it's an industry today. I think it's a vital industry today because once a museum has a piece, they're very unlikely to let it go. So right. it's, there's only one of a kind. And I think, uh, you know, art should be shared by many. So mm -hmm. if you can do a great copy of a painting uh, that somebody would appreciate, I, I, think it's, I think it's a good thing. I think also uh, what David's talking about, getting to know the artist. Uh, reading about that artist's life, uh, reading about the painting that you're painting, uh, it, it's all helpful. Um, one of the things that I experience when I'm copying a master painting is I feel like I am experiencing the artist and how they've gone about um, putting this, how they've laid it in. And, and whether or not, I mean, maybe that's a projection on my part, you know, uh, who knows. But, uh, but all of that plays into my um, experiencing the copying of this master painting. And, um, and I can um, uh, feel like I'm... Um, gathering information, usually I will, like for instance, the Monet, the Claude Monet that I painted in the uh, Boston MFA, uh, the color notes in the, and, the, and the key is very high. It's an, unlike my own natural propensity. I, I'm more of a mid-tone. Uh, this is a high key. Uh, piece and and I would say that so many of the color notes were things I just would not pick and um, and yet I'm forced to pick that because that's exactly what I see so it really teaches you to stretch and to experience something that perhaps you would not do if it was under your own Steam. Mm. So, yeah. are you, well, are you saying then that if there's a selection of paintings uh, to choose from, as I say, that uh, the, there are seascapes, there yeah. are harbour scenes, there are landscapes, um, and as you say, in the different um, colour choices that these artists make, do you pick something that is going to be challenging because it isn't the, the colour palette that you would normally use, or do you... Uh, should you look for something that's more in keeping <clears throat> with what you normally do and therefore you get a, a fair copy but you have perhaps you know, haven't, I, uh, haven't learnt as much as you might right. do by, by going out of your own comfort zone and picking something that you wouldn't normally I paint. think it's good to go out of your comfort zone I really do um, last year I, um, I, didn't, I didn't know what I was going to paint I was there, and 
David uh, says, how about this Anthony Serino? And it's big flower piece. And I outdoors said, too. And outdoors, yes. and uh, but but full of flowers. And I'm not really a flower painter. And I thought, what the hell? You know, why not? And and uh, so I took it. I had a 2436 uh, p uh, canvas. <laughs> And um, and so I started painting it, and it was a fan, it was a really ex- exciting time. It was fun to do it. Um, I really enjoyed it. Uh, it it was challenging because I'm not really into it. Uh, you know, flowers or even the colors were bright and all this kind of stuff. And so my suggestion is. Pick something that's challenging for yourself. Pick something that doesn't meet with your tendencies. Yeah, so that it's so you know? that it is a good learning experience. Yes, yes, yeah. Yeah, I, and I think Connie sums it up, and that's why she's going to give the introduction lecture to this, because I think she she's absolutely right. And this is the true way of learning to paint. Um, is to is to by copying other people's paintings. I know it sounds a little yeah. a little strange, but I think that is the best way of learning because you're learning all those things at the same time. You're learning um, you're learning about color. You're learning about design. You're learning about turning the form, proportion, all those. Inter- whereas if you were just starting out, as what the the habit is nowadays, is draw first, and once you can draw and see the proportions of things. Then you move on to color and painting. But we all know that color helps to make form. And if you're not experiencing that right off the bat, there's there's other ways of drawing or painting other than just the understanding of chiaroscuro. Um, if we go harken back to Caravaggio and Caravaggio's influence on, on some of the great Spanish painters like Velasquez and uh, Rembrandt, he really influenced them all because he took the, the understanding of chiaroscuro and he, he took it to its extremes. Make the docks really dark. Make the lights mm-hmm. really light. And, and that really opened those doors at that point in time. And then David comes along in the French beginning and he starts ac- making it more academic, that it starts out as a learning experience of draw first, get the drawing right, and then move on to paint. But this, it's such a different language, I think, uh, mm. between painting and drawing. And um, I think people taking this class learn more about painting and are immersed in painting than if they were to, uh, like, a, just a simple drawing course would be fine. Um, it, it sort of frustrates me a lot. I see these um, classes where they painting a figure, uh, a nude figure, and, uh, but that's the end of it. They don't do anything with it. It's it's a woman sitting in a studio with a ugly chair and other <laughs> painters. Paint. It's not very attractive, you know. Whereas if that was going to be a study of Venus in the half shell, is that, yeah. uh, or you know something something of that nature, something more allegorical, something bigger than life, then I see the purpose behind it. So we've gotten a little pedestrian in our thinking about what art could be. And I think one way of changing that will be getting people 
involved in looking at other people's paintings from the past. Don't be afraid of, you know, saying, well, I'm, I don't want to end up painting just like they would because everybody would accuse me of being a copyist. There's nothing wrong with that. Learn. Learn that way. And I, mm-hmm. So I, I'm a full believer in this, this, this class of uh, copying the master. And uh, it's, uh, it's a good class. We usually have a great group of people who love it. And the ambiance there, like I said, it's daylight. The paintings are hung on the walls. Uh, there's a small selection, so there's plenty of room for everybody. And the natural light on the walls just illuminates that painting in the, in the correct lighting, probably the, in which it was done. Yeah, so natural lighting, you talk about it has, um, this is the Hibbard Gallery, yes, and mm-hmm. it has skylights. Skylights. So, yeah. Skylights. Yeah. And that's a good lighting and it's to paint from. I think. Uh, and just as usually when there's a staff member comes out and notices I don't put the lights on, they decide that it needs lights on. And I said, no, no, you want to save on your lighting bill out here. You know, let's turn the lights off. Uh, because, and most of the students will recognize it right away because their painting won't have light on it, but the painting on the wall will have light, and you need equal light. You need the same light on your canvas as the light That's is true. on the wall. That's true. Uh, but yeah. Connie really is uh, is one of the best people I have, and I think you are moving on to uh, hopefully copy at the Louvre and maybe the well the National Gallery or in the, in the Prado mm-hmm. of Valeskis at the Prado. I would love that. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> well, maybe uh, maybe you could get the Valeskis that um, A. T. Hibbard painted at the uh, at the Prado because. Yeah. Uh, he did a uh, a copy of the weavers, uh, just like the right. uh, bottom right-hand uh, piece of the painting. Uh, and it's I think it's a fabulous painting, but people tend to look at it and think, eh, it's old hat, it's a copy. And they don't realize that it shows how good A.T. Hibbard was yeah. at yeah. doing other genre besides snow scenes. Right. So, and I think one other thing that's interesting about this um, painting from the uh, the masters in Rockport is that many of these paintings were done locally, and therefore you know you have uh, paintings by um, a team. They have a fabulous teamy. I think Upper Main Street, which is mm-hmm. uh, a gorgeous mm-hmm. painting. New to the collection. Yep. Yeah, they've got Charles Allen Winter. They've got some great pieces. Uh, uh, the Granite Pier by Paul Struzik. Yeah, that's great. To me, the amazing thing about these paintings is that a lot of these um, scenes are still available to painters today. Um, I mean, there's. Some that you can't get so simply because point. of the, yeah. you know, right. it's more built Very up contemporary. now. But there yeah. are some places that you can still get down to the um, the granite uh, the granite bridge or the Keystone Bridge. Because uh, I remember yeah. painting there with your dad yep. years ago. Uh, that was a lot of fun. So it's it's interesting that these scenes that are going to be available to copy are actually local scenes. And therefore you have the chance to see how somebody else did it. And then maybe go outdoors and, and do your own interpretation of it. Exactly. So, well. Also, too, a little sidelight. Um, because Connie is good at this class, uh, I've challenged her to the, I think, with the hardest painting to copy in this class, which is an A.T. Hibbard snow scene. Very simple. Looks very easy to copy. Everybody's attracted, but nobody has succeeded yet. Oh. So the gauntlet has been thrown down, <laughs> and the I'm challenge has been, it up. And the challenge has been accepted. That <laughs> sounds like Hills of Belmont, <laughs> <laughs> which is an early piece of Hibbard's, I have 19... Beautiful painting. Something I'm thinking yeah. about from Europe.
Club. Yeah. Fabulous, excellent shows coming. We look forward to seeing uh, what you do with okay. that. Okay. And <laughs> once again, we're out of time. I know that we could uh, talk along this uh, line for uh, another hour or two, but uh, I'm afraid needs must. We uh, have to move along here. So thank you very much for listening. I hope you'll have a great week, and we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you very much.